Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The plate with the bases loaded, uh, two down, the pitch. Curveball, swing and a tap foul, and the Cardinals are one strike away from going to Detroit and the 2006 World Series. Adam Wainwright gets a new baseball. Rubs it up, stands on, looks in with the bases loaded, two out. Cardinals leading three to one here in the bottom of the ninth inning. One of the most dangerous hitters in the business at the plate, Carlos Beltran. He is ready, so is Wainwright. The 0-2 delivery. Curve struck him out looking. The Cardinals are going to Michigan to take on the Tigers. They mob, they mob Adam Wainwright on the mound. They are National League champions and headed for Detroit as they mob the pitcher. And now Yadier Molina, in comes the bullpenners to a pile on. The Cardinals have won this game 3-1. to one. one and two to Castillo. Wright still very close to the line at third. Runner leads from first, a one-two pitch, swing and a ground ball to short to his left raise. He's got it, flips to second and put it in the books. Force play retires Randa at second, and the Mets have come from behind to defeat the Pittsburgh Pirates 7-6 to here at Shea Stadium and make it a happy 4th of July for Mets fans. In the ninth inning for Pittsburgh, no runs, one hit, no errors, one left. Billy Wagner picks up the save, and the Mets have defeated the Pirates 7-6, and it's a milestone save for Billy, his 300th Major League save, all but 16 of them now for either the Houston Astros or the Philadelphia Phillies. But congratulations to Billy Wagner. He gets a hug from Julio Franco, and the Mets have won it to even the series 7-6 this afternoon. him from the daily news as well as espn new york mets beat reporter who better to talk about carlos beltran and billy wagner up for the hall of fame than adam rubin adam maybe there's some younger fans that don't remember you but we will educate them you probably don't remember this i've been doing some form of independent media since 2007 wgbb long island you were my first guest on my first show uh, opening day 07 day after was my first show you were my first guest. I was nervous as anything because the great Adam Rubin was coming on my show, <laughs> and I don't want to mess it up. So welcome to the program. I hope I do a better job by today because if I listen back to my first uh, iteration, I was awful. So well, welcome uh, to the I'll, program. How you doing? Thank you. I'll flatter you as well that my mother was a religious listener of WGBB uh, when I was younger. Wow. That makes either makes me really old or really. <laughs> well, not that anyone wants to hear this, but was there, there was someone on there, Craig Mustard, maybe. And uh, I'm trying to remember all the other names from back then. Oh, yeah. WGBP. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, hey, so we're bringing you back on. I know you work for LAU Athletics, uh, uh, Assistant Associate Athletic Director. Is that what I would say? Um, yeah, I oversee, I'm sorry. I, I oversee the game broadcast, the social media, the website content for the athletic department. Official title is Associate Athletic Director for Media Relations, but 
basically a lot of the stuff I did content creation wise with the Mets, but obviously with a different tone now because I'm covering it on behalf of the team as opposed to covering a team with an independent media company. Yeah. So do you miss it? Do you, so here's what the fans will get. You were a beat writer. Sounds glamorous. You get to talk to Hall of Famers. You get to watch baseball for free, but they forget it is a job. You got deadlines. You've got the same West Coast trip that the athletes do. You're at the ballpark till midnight, just like the athletes. Uh, you're living out of a suitcase, the hotel, the whole nine yards. Do you miss it at all? I do miss some aspects of it, and I wouldn't rule out someday maybe getting back into it even. Uh, but I was the beat reporter for 15 years uh, covering the Mets, first for the Daily News, as you mentioned, and, and then ESPN. And uh, during that time, I was on the road 170 days a year, uh, which it, it's a little excessive, obviously. And uh, the thing that got really difficult was not so much the travel, even though that's obviously uh, kind of arduous and kind of wears you down a little bit. It, it was more, uh, obviously, as the Internet and social media became the more and more prevalent form of, of communication over the, the, uh, the, just whether it was in the newspaper or not, uh, it got to be where it was every second of every day where, yeah, you want to break a story. And if you break, and if you do break a story, everyone else will catch up a minute later, but the flip sure. side is you can catch up a minute later also if someone else breaks a story, but that means you have to be looking at your phone nonstop to see what everyone else is reporting a nonstop. So I actually remember I had a little detox from looking at my phone. It took me a while, uh, yeah. when I, uh, when I got off the beat. Do you watch, I mean, and I'll get to Beltron and Wagner, but are you a baseball fan? I know you're into college athletics now, it's your job, but are you a baseball fan? Are you into watching the Mets or are you so much like, hey, I I live that firsthand that you almost kind of like when I talk to former athletes, they're like, you know, I really don't watch the game that much anymore. Yeah, Well, I, I do follow all the, the beat reporters or, or most of the beat reporters, at least the guys who were around when I was around on Twitter. So I have a pretty good handle on the Mets, although if you started quizzing me, I, I, I'd probably flunk. Uh, but I have a pretty good handle on the Mets just because I follow the guys. I don't religiously watch the games on uh, TV or anything at this point. A lot of it because of, of the, the reason you cited, but also because we have 38 sports at Long Island University uh, and uh, keeps me on my toes and, and keeps me busy. I, I, the year I did get off the beat, I did write a lot for SNY's website uh, and also did some stuff for the New York Post. Uh, this past season, I was at City Field once uh, to cover a Mets-Phillies game for MLB.com. And I, I think I'll probably do a little bit more this upcoming summer for, for MLB.com. But uh, the baseball I follow these days is kind of college baseball. When I was at uh, NYIT where I started in college athletics, I got an opportunity to hire Frank Catalanato as the baseball coach right. to the right. DT College World Series our first year. Now at Hofstra did a remarkable job this past year there as well. Uh, and, and our LIU baseball team this past year made the, the college, uh, I'm sorry, the NCAA tournament just like Hofstra and got to go to the Maryland regional. So it's been a tremendous amount of fun doing the college baseball and being basically on the team side, going on the trips with the team, not flying commercially separately and stuff like that. So here you hire Frank Catalanato after you covered him for what a half a season, I think with the Mets uh, in what, 2009 or 2008, whenever he was with the team. So must be a little weird on that one, right? Yeah, I still have, we still laugh. We're, we're still good friends now. Uh, we laugh about it, but I, de- I had covered him that half season or whatever before he got released with the Mets and retired. And I think he retired right after that. Uh, and I DM'd him, this was six years ago now on Twitter, I hadn't spoke to him for several years or, or not really had spoken to him and just said, hey, if we had a job opening at NYT for baseball coach, would you be interested? And he said, uh, well, let's talk. Well, after he didn't get back to me for a day, he, uh, <laughs> he got back to me and said, let's talk about it. And it was uh, it was magic from the start. As I said, year one as a as a college coach took us to the D2 College World Series. The, the amount of teaching he did 
uh, just during fall ball before they even got to the spring was incredible. And uh, those kids really benefit from it. The Hofstra guys are benefiting from it right now. So he did a tremendous, tremendous job. He's going to be a, if he wants to be, he's going to be a big time uh, college coach and at an SEC school, if he wants to, I know he has ties to Long Island. So that may not be in the immediate plans, but, or if he wants to get into the pro ranks, he'll be a successful coach no matter where he is. So I showed this to you before we got on the air, Pedro Carlson, you are an author. And, uh, you know, that's why I brought you on, because I think, you know, the Carlos Beltran stories, uh, as of you know, as our conversation here, he's got about, according to, you know, some of the ballot counters, about 56% of the vote. Billy Wagner, almost there, about 72.5%. Um, you covered these guys, you know, Beltran specifically, uh, and I know you wrote a book about it, and I don't know how much you remember about that winter of 04 and 05, but... Uh, Beltran, I think, is is an interesting case, not just because of his overall resume. I don't think he's really appreciated by Mets fans, mainly because of 06, because of the strikeout. There was the injuries. There was the controversy with the front office. And uh, you covered him. I, you know, it's funny. When he, when he was named Mets manager, I said to myself, it's not the guy. Now, I didn't cover him like you. But, I, you know, you get a feel of someone when you watch them. Like, that's not the guy I thought would ever be a manager. You know, you never got that feel. And uh, I'm curious, you know, now that you can look back, here are guys that are up for election Hall of Fame. Sometimes covering players, you get the, the, this is a Hall of Famer. There's that gut feel. Forget about the numbers. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. And as you now see Beltran years later, his arc, his narrative, all the stuff that happened and, and how you would vote if you had a vote, if you want to share that. Well, yeah, no, I, I make my vote public every year. And I, I voted both for Beltran and for Billy Wagner this year. Billy Wagner hadn't previously been on my ballot uh, because I, Primarily because I didn't have space. Uh, I, I know closers uh, are a little, there's some debate about some closers, but I voted for Trevor Hoffman too uh, many moons ago. And uh, you touched on so many points with respect to Beltran, the lack of respect from Met fans. And I think it, it kind of maybe had a boomerang back well after his retirement. But I mean, I just think about with Bel- Beltran just changing the culture of the, the Mets. And that, if you remember that 2004. Uh, season was the last one under Art Howe. It was a pretty dismal season, 71 and, and 91. The Mets payroll that year was $87 million, which you think about what Steve Cohen is doing wow. now. I think about an $87 yeah. million payroll. I know we're talking about nearly 20 years ago, but $87 million, uh in New York then was exceedingly yep. low, too. Yep, yep. And then, uh, and then uh, Pedro Mart- uh, Omar Minaya comes in as GM. Jim Duquette kind of gets blindsided or pushed aside a little bit. Uh, uh, the Wolfpans decided to open up the pocketbooks a, a little bit. They bring in uh, Pedro Martinez and and Carlos Beltran. They try to get Carlos Delgado uh, that winter too. He goes to the Marlins, but ends up with the Mets a year later in a trade when the Marlins had one of their kind of classic fire cells anyway. And uh, it was it was magic. I wouldn't, I don't want to say magic right from the beginning because they started off if you remember zero and five that year. Beltran, Beltran Beltran homers on opening day. Pedro has a a great performance on the mound. And then Braden Looper, their stopgap closer, blows, uh, <laughs> blows the save. They go 0-5. I still remember, uh, not to digress too much, but Willie Randolph, uh, Mike Piazza had given Willie Randolph, uh, the first-year manager in 2005, a cigar to smoke after his first win. He gave it to him before the season started. They start off 0-5, and here they are, the last game in Atlanta before they come home as the what they had been branded as kind of the new Mets. And so... Uh, they're they're about to go home 0-6 and, and Beltron Homers, I think in the eighth inning or so off John Smoltz, who's having a terrific game. So they come back one and five. And uh, but they really did well that that year. As it's 71 and 91, the 
the, the previous year, uh, and then 83 and 79, which was so it's a 12 game improvement in 2005 and kind of faded late, but they were in the wild card race. I think it's until a trip to St. Louis in, in September. So it was really a, a magical season and it really set up 2006. And, uh, you brought, you hit so many points in, uh, about Beltron. I mean, for instance, everyone's going to remember that, that, uh, curveball from, from Adam Wainwright with the bases loaded, uh, in, in game seven of the, the NLCS. But if you think about even just that series, he had three home runs and eight RBIs, that series at 296, that series. And uh, it, it, it was, but, and then you brought up something else about, you didn't really foresee him being the manager of the, the Mets. And I was, frankly, I was off the beat by the time they made that decision. That I guess obviously was ill-fated because of, of what happened, what came out with the Astros, but uh, Beltran was very much an introvert with the Mets. Uh, didn't love the publicity. If you remember in that 2006 season early on, he starts out 0 for 9 that year, and he's getting booed by the fans, and then he hits yep. a home run. Yeah. Julio Franco had to push him yeah, out of the dugout. People exactly. don't remember, remember that. I yeah. remember that very vividly. That was uh, that was a big deal. That was a turning point maybe for him at that point. Yeah, and 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 at the time after the game, he said, hey, and he was obviously, the fans had obviously gotten under his skin because he said, I'm a friend when things are going good and going bad. And he was kind of getting on the fans for, for getting on him for, for being right. moved. So uh, he was an introvert from, from and didn't, I don't think he really loved being the spokesperson. I mean, to kind of tie Billy Wagner and, and, and Carlos Beltran together for a second. I mean, you may recall that uh, Beltran, uh, I'm sorry, Billy Wagner and, and, Paul Dugan to a lesser extent, yep. roused about having to do so much media duty because Beltron didn't love the spotlight and Carlos Delgado was kind of a ghost after after games. Sure. Probably Beltron took a little bit of a cue from from Delgado, not the not the leader of, of that. In fact, David Wright early in his career had to have an inordinate amount of burden of, of answering questions because Beltron and, and Delgado and Luis Castillo weren't really available at the same rate as, as some of the other guys. So uh, there, there are so many things uh, that that, that I recall about those teams. And that's why it really surprised me. And the other thing that surprised me about uh, why Beltron was, when Beltron was selected as the best manager was that there was a lot of friction with the Wilpons and, and the front office. He had that microfracture surgery yep. uh, in January of, of 2010, I want to say it was. And, uh, and, and the, uh, the Mets came out publicly, which was, would be unheard. It's not exactly PR one-on-one, to come out publicly and say he did it without our permission, which created a lot of friction between sure. Scott Boris and, and Carlos Beltran and the, and, and the Mets. So to turn around less than a, like later and, and anointed the manager after all that bad blood was, was really surprising to me. It's crazy to think those times, you know, they, they had the three-year run. 06 was like the perfect season. You know, Beltran's like top five at MVP, 40 home runs even with all the injuries and the weird stuff, nothing really went wrong. Everything went right until game seven. And he, and I still remember, I mean, in WFAN and Benigno to this day, you know, he's not clutch. And I'm saying to myself, and I've watched that at bat a few times and that curveball, he couldn't hit. He <laughs> couldn't hit. I mean that let's face it. Adam Whitewright's probably, probably a Hall of Famer. So yeah. he lost, he got beat by Hall of Famer. If you want to say where he lost in that at bat, and this is hindsight's 2020 and I can see it now. Bases loaded, you know, Wainwright's stressed. Tony La Russa even admitted that, I think, years later. Uh, fastball down the middle, that's when you pounce, first pitch. But Beltron was a thinking man's hitter, and maybe he was trying to, you know, have him get one over and things like that. And he never really got over that. And then it's almost like the collapses get tied to him. Yeah. When in reality, it was the pitching. It was the lack of depth. I mean, I've spoken to Rick bullpen, Peterson. Yeah. 
bullpen was bad and Billy Wagner got hurt. And, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm a little bit more, not as bullish on Wagner as a Hall of Famer, maybe because I'm being hard on him because he's a closer. But let's also remember, you know, he tore his, his tendon, his Tommy John surgery in 08. But I remember there was a number of instances before 08 when I think he had some elbow issues. The whole entire time with the Mets, I'm not sure Wagner was healthy. And I was just looking at his numbers before we got on the air. They're not Edwin Diaz last year. Good. But damn, they're good. Um, so maybe I'm being a little hard on Billy Wagner there. Yeah, and I, I, I honestly, I don't like to delve too much into why I vote for someone for the Hall of Fame or, or not, just because it opens me up to even these days, even the slew of like hate on Twitter and stuff like that. So <laughs> you're I being brave public- coming on this show. You're being brave. <laughs> nah. You're my little humble abode over here. You know, we have a nice I, audience. We'll have all the pitchforks and, and fire at you there, you know? No, I, I always make public who I vote for. But, yeah, I, I do think he's – I do vote for him. Well, I, I did vote for him this year for the first time. I, I do think it's borderline, but I, I do believe he's he's going to get in. Uh, so we'll, 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 see how it, uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I, it, honestly, Beltron to me is the one that's it's more of a no-brainer, whether he has a few, less percentage this, this upcoming year or, or whatever than, 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 than Wagner did or does or whatever. Uh, I mean, to, to me, Beltron, it, it's interesting because I, I still remember we were joking at the time uh, when Beltron was a Met, whether he was going to go into the Hall of Fame as a, as a Met or a Royal. Wow. Uh, actually, before I came on with you, I, I kind of even looked at the stats to see kind of. Pretty what, close. Yeah. Pretty well, close. I, he played more games with the Mets than any other team, including the Royals. Yeah. It was 839 to 795. He had 280, 149 homers as a Met, 559 RBIs. He had three gold gloves as a, as a Met. I think he had five of his nine All Star appearances as a Met. So it's a, and you know what, <laughs> excuse me, he gets a, he gets a bum rap too for some things like, I just remember he was actually a really tough player. If you remember 2005, the first season with the Mets, he actually collides in, in, in right yep. field with, with uh, Mike Cameron, who had gotten acquired and got assigned to right field, even though it was, a, so they had two center fielders and, and, uh, and, and Cameron's playing right field and they collide in San Diego in, in, in August and Beltran fractures all kinds of, bones in his face and it, it, for a lot of people it would have been season ending and he was could have been career back. ending could have been he career was, ending it was nasty he was literally, yeah he was literally back a, a week later so uh and then even just like I know Hall of Fame we talk about character like for instance Omar Vizquel got obviously rightfully dinged and, and right. fell off a cliff once things came out recently uh about him but I mean Beltran was a Roberto Clemente uh, award winner I, I know he started the school in in Puerto Rico I remember writing about that uh he started a school uh, for high school age people to kind of get them on the, on the right track and get them to major league baseball because Puerto Ricans, unlike Dominicans are subject to the draft. So you have to be in school and right. things like that. So uh, I'm, if you were, I mean, I, Billy Wagner and I are Facebook friends and stuff. I don't want to uh, offend him or anything like that, but if you ask me which one more so deserves to be in the hall of fame, I would say Beltran, no, no, no question. And it didn't bother you the sign stealing. Cause I know a lot of people are still, you know, and I get the, the moral outrage. This is my opinion, not Adams. I feel it's like, hey, who am I to judge morals? I know there's some things that are obvious moral outrage on, but I think we get too carried away with that with the Hall of Fame. And maybe it makes it fun debate. Uh, but, you know, you kind of always, you know, baseball should have known with technology that when I'm watching the game and Adam Rubin's watching the game and within seconds, we're seeing something or live. If we're doing it, 
what made them think nobody else was doing it? I mean, come on, you know, I mean, well, baseball's typically behind all the time. I'll give you a, a parallel. Uh, it's really hard to vote for the Hall of Fame. It was harder in the previous ballots because of all the steroid guys on the on the ballot. And people want to say to you, well, how could you vote for, I don't know who to say, like, how could you vote for Aaron Manny Ramirez when they clearly cheated in, in these people's minds? Uh and but they presume that everyone who was never caught was pure. Uh and so why am I the one to judge whether certain guys are or I mean the guys who got caught I shouldn't vote for and the guys who didn't get caught as, evaded it. <laughs> but I sure. even the guys I suspected uh I should I should vote for them because they didn't get caught. So it's it's kind of the same thing. And and honestly, uh as I, I don't love talking about the Hall of Fame voting stuff like that, I'm actually gonna be relieved when they pull my vote in a few years. <laughs> You get to vote for you get to vote for ten years after you uh, retire from from writing. So unless I come back, I'm going to lose it soon. It used to be a lifetime thing, and now it's not. But I'm actually I'm actually relieved in a way because it was supposed to be fun, and it's it's really not fun because I mean I I I, I was joking earlier about getting kind of hate stuff about kind of why I vote for people and or don't vote for people. But I would if it were just about the base pure baseball numbers and and careers and stuff like that, I would embrace the the debate, but it gets to kind of devolve into who cheated, who didn't cheat, that kind of stuff. And it's just not worth it's it. It's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And that's a shame because um, it's, it's kind of taken away from what it should be about. Adam Rubin, you guys know him, uh, cover the Mets, Daily News, ESPN New York. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I don't know your ballot. I didn't see your ballot. Would you share who else you voted for? I won't tar, I won't tar and feather you. You know, I'll just listen, you know? So. I, as I'm getting older and my uh, memory fades, so as I'm scrolling through my phone, because I have a picture of my ballot on there, I will, <laughs> I'll gladly tell you, but I just had to call it up. Uh, so I had, I had uh, you know, for several years, I voted, you could only vote for 10 people as a maximum yep. ballot for several years because there was a lot of congestion. I voted for 10. I actually didn't get to 10, I don't think, this year. Uh, I did Carlos Beltran, did tar- Todd Helton. I do Andrew Jones. I uh, I did Manny Ramirez and Eddie Rod, so you could send your hate mail to me. Just like I that. don't have a problem with those. Uh, and I did I did Scott Rowland and 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 Billy Wagner. I uh, wow. had Biscell on for several years and, and took him off. Uh, but other than that, uh, I think it's it's a lot easier ballot now than it, than it had been. I know some guys push for a, a Gary Sheffield that I, I don't happen to vote for, but. Uh, I, I usually get actually now when I tweet out my ballot, I usually get compliments for the most part because it's a uh, it's, it's a pretty good ballot. It's, it's actually pretty good. I'm not just telling you that it's a pretty <laughs> good ballot. No Jeff Kent either. You kind of Jeff Kent's a tough one too because he wasn't really a second baseman, but he has when you put him in a second base category, he's up there amongst the the leaders. So I'm curious why not Jeff Kent? Just out of curiosity. Uh, as I said, I really <laughs> it's it's not fruitful to start going down the the road. So I kind of actually I made that decision a long like. Well, he's been on the ballot for a while now, so I'd have to go back. Uh, I, I don't want to give you something on the spot anyway, because I have oh, to go I back. I but I really did research it at the at the at the time I had to make the initial decision, and I go back every so often, kind of reconsider people. But uh, he's not one I really reconsidered. Right now, it's you. You brought up Andrew Jones, and it's interesting because when I was looking at Beltron, I'm trying to trying to find reasons to say he's not a Hall of Famer because I feel like it's so easy with stats now to become the hall of very good. Like, think about it out of anybody on this ballot. I don't care what anybody says. Now, within a few exceptions, you could make an argument that they're a hall of famer, right? I mean, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, They're they're actually a little liberal in putting people on the ballot. Uh, 
if they had a, a long career. So there, there are certainly guys on there that I'm, I'm going to pick on somebody. Uh, something like, our, our, for instance, R.A. Dickey is on the Not a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, Fun wonderful, player, wonderful story, whatever, knuckleball, reinvented himself, whatever. But he's on there because he played a long time. Uh, trying to look at just some other random guys. Uh, obviously, I skew towards the guys that, uh, you know, who I came close to voting for. Actually, considering it's Jimmy Rollins, I wouldn't rule out that I'm going to get hate now. I'm really going to get hate now. But, uh, That's I a would, tough one. Yeah, I would. I I haven't voted for him. Uh, if he picks up some momentum, I'll definitely reconsider it. Uh, I, I mean, I'm and even if I just solely based it on the team to beat and and coming back and being the Mets from with right. the to rehash everything, one wants to hear about bad memories. But the seven games down with seventeen to play yeah. and catching the Mets. I mean, just that and and how he stuck his neck out and then backed it up. Uh, I mean, just that alone. But that that Phillies era of Rollins, Utley, uh, Howard is pretty. I know, a tough team. Tough team. Yeah. I think they stole signs too, Adam. I remember. <laughs> you know what? The Mets, I, I, the Mets accused him at times. And I remember Major League Baseball at one point actually went to investigate it. I, nothing became public. So I guess nothing was, was nothing found. Came. Yeah. They were just not, too good. In, this, in big spots, they always found a way to get hit. Now, maybe that's just sour grapes, but it was always interesting. Oh, huh? No, but, but the Mets suspected it too, because I, I do remember, I, I, I could Google it, I guess, but I do remember writing a story about the Phillies, the Mets complaining of Major League Baseball investigating the Phillies, but nothing ever came of it. I'm curious, you know, Andrew Jones, because as I was looking at Beltron, I'm like, you know, if Beltron gets in eventually, and he's in a good first year, 56% is pretty good. You might have to revisit Kenny Lofton. You might have to revisit Andrew. I mean, if Andrew Jones doesn't get in, those are two guys very close when you look at it. And I never thought, I mean, Andrew Jones is a good player, but he's getting close. He's at 68%. And I didn't, I didn't think Kenny Lofton was. There's some that do, you know, with Beltron getting in, you have to look at some of these other guys and maybe on a veterans committee, it's so much more closer. It's such a hard thing. I don't envy you because you are playing with people's livelihood. I mean, not that, look, they made their money. It doesn't, but it is a prestigious thing. And it's, it, you got to take it seriously. And I, I can tell you, you do. There are some that don't. Um, but this is a tough spot you guys are in. So maybe I, I, I guess I see your point. Getting out of it is, is sometimes a relief. In <laughs> yeah. And, and Jones, I was just looking it up too. It's, I think it's his sixth year on the, uh, on the ballot this year. Uh, I believe six. So he's got, you have 10 years, up 10 years on the ballot, as long as you keep getting at least 5%. So he's got several more times to, to be considered by the, the writers. Uh, and typically people creep upward unless something untoward comes out about you. So, I wouldn't discount he's going to get voted in by the writers. Lofton, as you mentioned, uh, is gone from the ballot. So I, I don't even remember what year that was. Uh, but he would have to be the Veterans uh, veterans Committee. So uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. So real couple quick things before I let you go. You got a favorite memory covering the team. Doesn't have to be like something that could be just something unique. I'm curious because you always have good stories. And, and when I ask people those things, I'm like, Something interesting's got to come up. Nothing salacious, but something interesting. Yeah. Um, honestly, my my favorite my favorite moment of all time with the Mets, and I still vividly remember it, is and there were there were actually there, it's two. It was one David Wright Jose Reyes moment, and then kind of it's a parallel with with Wright. A, a, it's I guess about a decade later. Uh, I still the picture that's kind of iconic and and what I observed at the time. You know, with with Jose after the Mets clinched in two thousand six. I guess it was with Jose Reyes and, and David Wright chomping on the cigars on the field and celebrating and stuff like that with the, and all that. And then I just remember 2015 uh, underneath the stands at Wrigley field saying, seeing David Wright uh, outside the, the clubhouse and just absolutely beaming that he was going to the, the world series after what was really a barren decade for the Mets. I mean, uh, after 2006 and then NLCS, they had the two collapses, but then people, 
people probably don't forget, but they probably don't want to relieve it. They had six straight losing seasons after yep. that. So it was baseball eight, purgatory. So it was baseball eight. Pur- it was eight tough years between 2006 and and 2015, and just seeing the joy on his uh, his face. Our our careers. Uh, I guess we joke about it a little bit, or when I've spoken to him a little bit recently, uh, or, or whatever over time. But but uh, our careers kind of were had the same kind of arc. I started covering baseball in New York in 2001 when he was in A ball. I still remember he, he told me back then that. Uh, I had written like uh, a, a feature story on him when it was, there were three, there were three minor league third basemen that the Mets thought very highly of. It was David Wright, who's obviously a sandwich first round pick. So it wasn't like he came, was asleep or anything like that, but there were a couple other ones, Aaron Baldiris and Sean hmm. Bowman also in the Mets minor league system. I remember Sean Bowman. Yeah. They yeah, were- yeah. And they were all highly thought of and no one knew exactly who was the one who was going to pan out. And I'd written a feature on David Wright. who He told me it was in his, uh, it was in a scrapbook, like his parents and he kept a scrapbook of all the articles. So it was like right in the front because it was one of the, uh, one of the early articles. Uh, but just seeing the joy and knowing like what he, what he had gone through uh, was, was to me that that's what I re- remember most the behind the scenes stuff. I, uh, I mean, I, I remember being at Shea, uh, Shea stadium for the first came back after September 11th. Uh, that was uh, obviously an incredible moment with the Mike Piazza home run and, and all that. And then, uh, I mean, uh, kind of a sort of a parallel to that. We were in Philly on Sunday night baseball. I think it was when, uh, they learned that Bin Laden had been killed yep. and stadium, yep. and it wasn't the there were cell phones, but it wasn't the era era of iPhones and, and internet right. news and all that kind of stuff. So it was spreading around the stadium, kind of more word of mouth than it was kind of everyone getting alert on their phone, uh, and just that that and enchanting USA and stuff like that. So I remember that one vividly. I mean, there's so many memories that 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 come to mind. I always love spring training too. Uh, because everyone was upbeat in, in spring training and stuff like that. Just and then honestly, the thing I appreciated most about it was uh, you get to see all the things that everyone else doesn't get to see. And yeah, um, and there are blowups with reporters and 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 players and stuff like that. But it was what? a tough time for you guys, you and the team, not just you, but even the media. It was a contentious time for a variety of reasons. And I think because social media was exploding, I think it was a lot harder. You were at a very – it was a weird time to watch the team. And I think it's because of the explosion of Twitter and social media and the agitation of 06. They never got over 06. They yeah, never got over The difference between the David Wright era players and, say, the not – to, not to cite anyone, but like the Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Matt Harvey era players, is that the David Wright grew up kind of pre-social uh, pre, uh, media, I would say. So that they the relationships were a lot different. The the players who came up in the social media era were a lot more guarded, rightfully so, because there's so much more uh, so much more chance for things to blow up and stuff like that. There, so maybe they had to be a little more more guarded. But honestly, I had for the most part, I had tremendous relationships. I think with most of the people I covered in the clubhouse, and that was the point I was making. Is just that just to be able to have the con- you're privileged to be able to have the the conversations on a daily basis, see all the things, just kind of like sit down with the manager in the dugout before three hours or two hours before a game and just have a conversation about baseball and kind of, and also kind of, I don't want to say off the record stuff, but just kind of understand like why they're making decisions that they can't get on camera and say, but they kind of explain to you why things are, why things are happening. Uh, And not to be too long, but honestly, actually the most fun I ever had was with the scouts from the different teams assigned to the Mets. Uh, I would have breakfast with them every single morning during spring training and just hear great stories, hear who, like, what the rumors are, but, like, just hear their thoughts on the different players and 
Uh, sometimes they hit, sometimes they didn't hit, but they're, I loved listening to their analysis and why they thought things about people. And I'll tell the, the fans one thing. Adam was, was I, here's what I always knew he was the hardest working guy. I used to go down to Trenton anytime the B-Mets were down there. And I'm going to tell you a story. You may or may, I don't know if it's 09. I think it's 09. It was the day after Luis Castillo dropped the pop-up. I'm in Trenton and Brian Bruni was doing a rehab stint. And you were there. We were in the scrum. Bruni, you left. And that's when Bruni did the whole K-Rod imitation. And I remember getting it on, on, on audio. And I went up to you in the press box and said, you better grab this because this is about. Now, here's what's funny, Adam. Twitter was just new. So I tweaked the thing out. And nobody, who the hell is Mike Silva? You know, the whole thing. Meanwhile, I get home after, you know, watching, I think Dylan G pitched or something. Because you're all watching these guys. And SMY picks it up. Like, yo, that was my thing over there, you know. But it didn't matter. That's the whole thing. But I do remember that. But that was one of the things that you kind of pioneered that now is standard. And I mean that. You would do the minor leagues. You would write the recaps. And uh, there was nobody else did it. Because now today there's MILB. There's this. You can't get away with that 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 cottage industry anymore. But uh, you were kind of at the beginning of that, and that that is true. That is something to the testament to your work. Well, honestly, one of the big reasons why, and it wasn't the primary reason why I did it, but one of the big reasons why I had so many sources in clubhouses and and things like that was that I knew the players when when the players get to New York, there's 30 media in the clubhouse, newspapers, TV stations, yeah. bloggers, things like whatever uh, things like that. Uh, and they don't, they have to be guarded. They come in there. A lot of them come, come from, they hadn't been in a media market or environment like that before. And it's like deer in the headlights kind of thing where they don't know who they could trust. But I knew the guys three or four years before most of them, uh, most of the other reporters did because I would go to minor league games nonstop on my off days and, and things like that. Uh, whether it was Brooklyn or I, I would make point to go and getting, when the, when the Mets were playing the Marlins, get over to St. Lucie or whatever, watch, watching Florida State League games, get to Binghamton. Uh, even like uh, it was tough when the Mets were in the Pacific Coast League, but I would get to as many AAA games as I could, especially when they're in Buffalo. It was great. Go to like Scranton, Wilkes-Barre or something like that and right. and, and catch up with uh, them. So uh, I did a weekly minor league feature on a player every week, and it wasn't always the best player on the team. Uh, right. it, was, it was just whoever had an interesting story, and then i do minor league notes. And every day I would do game recaps of all the minor league games, uh, which elongated my day. But – it certainly was advantageous in building relationships. And I used to drive the Mets, not to, to, to be too much about myself, but I used to drive the Mets nuts because, you know, when it, someone's going on the DL, they want to, or, or just when they're having a player transaction, they want to keep it quiet. till the next day and like activate the guy an hour before the game. And literally they would call down to the AAA team to promote somebody. <laughs> and like 15 minutes later, I'd be tweeting who's getting called up and they yeah, would drive crazy. Yeah. The, Mets, the Mets would go crazy about it. I mean, right literally crazy about it but when you when you know all the triple a and double a players you know all their families and you know all their agents stuff like that it wasn't even like one deep throat or anything like that you you just were you knew all the guys and they trusted you and it it was kind of harmless in the grand scheme of life the information wasn't like they were sharing some some thing that's going to affect a trade or anything like that so uh they it was amusing to me but the, the Mets didn't take take it as amusing a lot of times now, I will say one other thing. Adam is a big Islanders fan because there was a period of time when the old Coliseum, I went to like two or three Islanders games. And every time I went there, I'd run into you and I'm like, geez, what are you got the same schedule? Are you going to UBS? Are you still watching the Isles? 
Uh, uh, we wrap it up on that because I yeah, know no, for the, fans like well, to hear what's going on. Just to on. kind of back, I, I actually, my parents had shared season tickets when I was growing up with another family. So I still remember at Nassau Coliseum, we were section 210, row E, seats seven and eight. So we were religiously go to games when I was uh, younger. And that was, talking about the Mets having eight barren years, the Islanders had a lot Long of time. <laughs> the, the new ice age was like, it was, it was uh, crazy. Uh, but uh, yeah, I kind of, I, I've only been to uh, one game at UBS Arena, and I don't think you would mind me sharing. I was actually in Jeff Wolpon's box there. <laughs> we, still, we still keep in touch. Uh, but you still uh, keep in touch with the band. You keep in touch with Jeff. You keep in touch with Omar. Do you keep in touch with all the principals from you know those years? Because it's like uh, bygones are bygones at this point. I would think it, you know it's funny. Well, I have nothing against Omar or anything like that. Uh, Jeff Wolpon, I actually do keep in touch with. Uh, I, I, not that we're going out on Saturday nights or anything like that, but we probably exchange an email or call once every couple of months or so just to say hello and see how everyone, everyone's doing. Uh, David Wright a little more infrequently than that, but uh, every so often I'll email him. He might email me once in a while, that kind of stuff. Uh, actually, David, when I was at NYIT, came to a baseball practice and was very generous with his time with the, uh, the kids. So uh, other than that, uh, it's funny, a lot of the guys who were either fringy players or minor leaguers are the ones I'm closest to. So, like, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with just about every Mets minor leaguer of all time who didn't who didn't make it to the major <laughs> leagues. Uh, so those are the guys. But those are always the guys I really enjoy talking to more than anything, too, and had great stories and were just kind of real people. Uh, so, yeah, I don't – whatever, not, not to name drop or anything like that. We don't need to name drop or anything like that. But, like, a lot of those guys are the ones I'm still – I still – sort of keep in touch with it. I mean, we're, it was a business relationship at the time, but kind of I'm out of it now. So I can't do much damage. So we, uh, we chat. And, you know, David Wright, even with the injury, his numbers are not hall of fame. I think he falls short. I think it'd be tough to put him in, but not far off. It, and, and I watched his whole career and I knew he was good. And I think he was another one. And I think it's part of 06 that there was always that feel he's not clutch. Like it's weird. Cause Beltron, right. That 07 thing, I think, followed them maybe it's a new york thing and i think with beltron it kind of hurts them a little bit in the new york perspective with the hall of fame but right i think maybe the younger fans appreciate it more because of what happened to him but i know there was a a, a bunch and when you cover the team right's not clutch he's not good he's not a leader and that was probably all silly when you look back at it but it's interesting nonetheless. yeah i mean not being a leader is certainly silly i wouldn't doubt that Ultimately, he may get in just because of who he was and the nice guy that he was, and that he might trickle up over time and get over over seventy five percent. It's probably a, a big parallel to say Don Mattingly with the Yankees, sure. uh, whose back career was actually cut short by a back injury too. That I think it might have actually been the same exact spinal stenosis. Yep. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so it, it probably is going to be the same fate for David Wright as, as Don Mattingly. I mean, I'm hope honestly, I'm hoping to hold on to a Hall of Fame vote long enough so that I can vote for David and. Uh, normally you would do it kind of just pure analytical and whether he deserves it or not. I, I'm not real. I'm not going to be impartial on that one. So, uh, right. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to vote for him no matter. Uh, I mean, not that I don't think he's a hall of famer, but I, I even if it were marginal, I would be voting for him. I'm sure a lot of guys with the players that covered in their market, if it's, if it's borderline, they're going to vote for it, but he, I, I would, I'm going to vote for him in a second. Give LAU a plug. Now I know the LAU. I grew up in Brooklyn, so I know LAU Brooklyn. So I remember LAU Brooklyn. They used to have when I was in college had great beer parties on Thursday. <laughs> All right. That's, that, my friend of mine went there. I, I will admit I got a few free beers at LAU Brooklyn, but that's not why you should go to LAU. So give them a plug. You've been generous with your time. And uh, you actually even work for Stony Brook, which is a stone's throw. I'm, I'm, up, 
I'm right up Nichols uh, Road a little way. So you've been in the college game a while now, you know? Yeah, no, it's 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 so scary. We were talking about like Beltran's free agency in 2004, 2005, and I, I mean, I'm thinking to myself that was almost 20 years ago, which is I know, on I know. where the time uh, where where the time it was go? 15 years ago, I interviewed you after opening day on that dopey radio station. Here we are again. <laughs> so time flies yeah. when you're having fun. But as far as LIU, uh, I, well, in the past, people may be familiar with LIU Post as a D2 school, LIU Brooklyn, the Blackbirds is a D1 school. Uh, five years ago or four years ago, the, the, the athletic programs unified. So it's all one division, one program now with 38 teams called the, the Sharks. So primarily the indoor sports like basketball, volleyball, the, the pool sports are in Brooklyn. Uh, and a good bulk of the teams are out on Long Island at the LIU Post Campus. So we have out here the uh, the baseball and so- uh, well, the baseball team, the lacrosse teams, the football team, uh, the soccer teams. Uh, actually, the Islanders facility, Northwell Health Ice Center in East Meadow, uh, hosts our hockey teams, our men's and women's hockey teams. It's been really exciting this year with the hockey. The the men's program is playing a, a juggernaut schedule because they're an independent beat. Its first ever ranked opponent beat Ohio State this year. Took Northeastern, which was the top ten team, to overtime. Took Quinnipiac, a top ten team, to to overtime. So it's been a it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and honestly, I, I really, really, really enjoy college athletic communications because it's the it's it, it's great because you get to create the content like we mentioned at the beginning. But you're part of the you're part of the team as well. As much as like the, I always tell people, when I used to speak with journalism classes. I used to tell them that my brother coaches high school basketball. As people who follow me on Twitter probably yes, know, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> used to be MacArthur. Now it's uh, West Hempstead, so we're all West Hempstead fans now. You're West Hempstead. But but, uh, but the same the same year that the Mets made the World Series in 2015, my brother had taken over the high school basketball team at, at MacArthur, and they won the school's first high school, uh, playoff game, basketball playoff game in like 10 years, uh, and. Honestly, for me, I was so much more emotional about the the winning my brother's team winning a high school basketball playoff game than I was about the Mets making the World Series because I had watched how much it went into it. I had helped out a lot. Uh, where the Mets, you're chronicling someone else's moment when you're an independent journalist. Sure. So to, to to make a contemporaneous what we're talking about now, I mean, when you're on the athletic communication staff or when you work for the university athletic department, yeah, you're not on the field during games, but when the team makes the College World Series or the team makes the NCAA tournament, you were part of that to a certain extent. You've seen all the behind the scenes things you're traveling with them. So it's so much fun to be on this side of it where, where you get to see all the behind, behind the scenes things, all the decisions are being made where that you would never see if you were a reporter covering a team as an independent journalist. So very much, uh, very much fun to me. I, I've learned a lot. I like with ESPN, obviously I hosted a radio show, used to be in front of the camera, even though it's primarily. Right a print reporter for ESPN.com. But when I get to NYIT and now even through now with, uh, with, with LIU, I'm overseeing the broadcast. So I had to learn how to do a broadcast. And we, we built up the broadcast at LIU now where we're sending the hockey games to ESPN plus uh, a year ago before we started, it was one camera broadcast going to just some uh, conference portal or whatever. And now we're doing like five, six camera broadcasts going to ESPN plus that are really sophisticated so it's been it's been fun learning how to build a broadcast creating content for websites i do a lot of photography people may remember i used to shoot i do i do remember photos. that yeah i've yeah. gotten better gotten better equipment over the years and uh, shoot a lot of the sports photography like if you were trying to shoot met spring training or Mets ball, ball game and you walk onto the field or whatever during uh during practice they'd, they'd probably shoot you or tackle you or something like that you didn't that. have the right press pass you didn't yeah. have the right press pass that's Whereas, why you have uh, the photographer press pass that's the yeah important. but like you just even like i mean i could literally like walk up to the batting cage or into the batting cage and take a photo of somebody and things like that that you just can't do when you're covering yeah. a, 
a professional team. So it's, it's, it's just so, it's so rewarding that I would encourage a lot of journalists to get into this because it's a lot of the same skills with uh, much more reward. All right. I got to let you go, but UBS, can you, can you tolerate UBS over the Coliseum? I haven't been there. Uh, A friend of mine went to Pavarotti said the parking stunk. Parking is expensive. If you want to get $169 concierge parking, uh, what do you think? You're not, you got there's Islanders fans in the audience. Can you tolerate UBS or do you want the barn back? Well, I mean, uh, proximity-wise, I would love Nassau Coliseum. Uh, But I will say I was spoiled the one day. I I mentioned who hosted me the one day. So I kind of had parking right next to the building and and some other amenities that probably a lot of people didn't have that day. That's going to get you more in trouble with the fan base than your Paul of Fame boat. That's what I would say. I don't know if you wanted me to say that either. So that's why I'm not saying the name again. But uh, that's right. That's right. Hey, listen. Thank you again. I've always appreciated. You've always been a good guy. You've always been able to be accommodating. Uh, LAU, you know, if you're looking to go to college, Adam Rubin's the guy to go recruit you to go to LAU. Adam, I need interns. If you're in college anywhere in the area, I need interns. So you need interns, so we'll do that. But thanks a lot, my friend. Uh, I'll say Happy New Year, even though it's past the threshold. And let's keep in touch, all right? Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big-time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. I hope you enjoyed the double episode version of the Talking Mets podcast. Look, Divisional Football Sunday. I know that some of your Giants fans are still recovering from that game last night. You know, maybe you're out there watching some football. I know it's a hard time of the year to get people engaged in baseball if you're a hardcore football fan. But we have a pretty hardcore audience. And this was kind of our final, uh, really our only one of those January, lull of January. The football takes over. The baseball hot stove really gets cooler. 
because the musical chairs is just those component and roundabout players that are out there. So you don't really look, you really want to have a Tommy Pham show. Is that what you really want? I don't think so. So we do the Hall of Fame show. The Mets made some big announcements for their Hall of Fame. So what better way to do it than to celebrate it with a two-part episode? Adam brought back tons of memories. I think that that era of Mets baseball, now that we're basically 15 or 16 years away from it, it's amazing how time flies because I started this this media journey in the middle of all of that. And that's the crazy part. Uh, and I remember so much. And, and maybe as we get closer to the... Um, if Beltron gets in, which he won't, you know, maybe that's something that we can talk about again. Now, next year on the Hall of Fame ballot, in addition to Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer, I think Maurer will be an interesting conversation, I'm sure, at the catching position. Uh, but Beltre, to me, is is the one that stands out as a Hall of Famer. Right, Reyes are on the Hall of Fame ballot. I don't think either is a Hall of Famer. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Wright was every bit the way going there. You know, if Wright was able to stay healthy another three or four years and then have his back issues, it would have been a much more interesting conversation. Uh, I say no to Wright in the Hall of Fame. His number will be retired. I have a feeling now that he's Hall of Fame eligible in the next couple of years, Wright will be retired. I also think David has to get out of his system his career. I have a feeling that it ended, obviously not the way he wanted, and uh, you know sometimes it's hard for a player to come back and see their number uh, hoisted up on the wall when in their mind they still could play, and in that in that in some way shape or form. So you know it'll be interesting how that plays. But I think as you listen to Adam, I think looking back and having some memories and and looking at that era of Mets baseball, which led to baseball purgatory under Sandy Alderson, and probably. You know, probably in some ways might be more disappointing than the ninety eighty seven to ninety one. Hard to debate because it was always the door opened and closed pretty quickly. And there's a lot more to that era. You know, I have some intimate knowledge. You know, having talked to those around the team, uh, the team probably wasn't as good as we thought. And uh, you know, unfortunately, there was a lot of stuff going on in the background. Uh, Omar Manaya, as I said, was a a great scout, not so great executive. Uh, but that's another story for another day. So hopefully you enjoyed uh, Adam Rubin. Uh, I had a lot of fun. And uh, no, I wasn't going to get into the Omar stuff. It doesn't matter. Like he said, it's over is over. Uh, you could see why Omar and the Mets probably hated him because he was good at his job. I used to see him at minor league ballparks all the time on his day off. I mean, how many writers do that now? I mean, now I think they would take their day off. And, and, and I don't blame him. Look, it's a hard job. But if you really want to make an impact in this business, you got to hustle. And sometimes that hustle is sweat equity on time off that you're not getting paid. Uh, that's why it's such a hard job. That's why it's such a hard industry. And it's getting harder because the pay is so bad and it's so hard to stand out. But Adam was a pioneer. You had Mets blog and Matt Saron at the time. And Adam, from a mainstream media perspective, you know, the recaps and some of the things you see with the minor leagues and, and how the beat writers approach their job. He was a pioneer on that. No doubt about it. So, it was really fun catching up with Adam. I didn't know if he would come on. I, I reached out to him earlier in the week, and, and he was gracious enough. And uh, I had a lot of fun uh, talking to him. And you heard his ballot. You heard his experience covering Beltron and the guys. And uh, a little bit different. Had a little bit different take than I did on some of the players that, um, you know, at that point and what have you. You know, I left Jeff Kent off my ballot this year. And I'm kind of regretting that. And I'll wrap up with this. I think Jeff Kent should be a Hall of Famer. He should be on the ballot. Uh, I talked about it a little bit, and I regret. I, I kind of botched the initial foray. 
And um, here's what I'll say. Jeff Ken, I'm on the fence, and I'm leaning no, but I may change my mind. Uh, from 1995 to 2005, he was better than, he was better than Biggio. He was better than Olimar in, in war, both in fan graphs and baseball reference. He played 85% of his games at the position during that time. And you look at his numbers. He's right there with Jackie Robinson and Ryan Sandberg. He has an MVP, uh, you know, an average of 28 homers, 109 RBIs, and a 136 OPS+. Plus. I, I think I have to relook at that. I lean no on this. I didn't even get into him on the initial Hall of Fame ballot. Bad job by me, and I'll take the L on that. I'm going to stick with him not being on the ballot, but I may examine him a little bit more, and I'm not opposed to him being on the ballot. Uh, I'm not opposed to him getting into the Hall of Fame. And a huge Mets connection. I mean, they traded for David Cohn, and um, you know who would have thought that the Hall of Famer in that, in that trade, the Mets would have got a Hall of Famer back in that trade. They did, or a borderline Hall of Famer. And they gave up on him a little bit too soon, but... He's an example of a guy that probably played better in a market like San Francisco, like Houston, like L.A. later in his career than New York. You know, he's an intense guy in the media scrutiny. And let's face it, the team was so dysfunctional and bad in 92 and 93. And I say this all the time, a big difference if a Ryan Ryan Thompson, Ryan Thompson actually talked about it. And I know one of you guys reached out and asked me what podcast it was on. I'm trying to find that. I can't find it. It's It's a years ago. Uh, but Ryan Thompson was on a podcast and said it was so hard coming into that clubhouse as a young player. And Kent had to go through it. You don't have the mature veteran leadership. You're in a bad situation. You're in a bad media situation. You're playing for a losing team. A lot of bad habits come from that. And maybe Jeff Kent needed to get out of there to get rid of those habits. But it would have been interesting to see him, if Bobby Valentine was his manager and he stuck around, how the Mets could have evolved with Kent in the lineup. It would have been interesting to see. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the two-part edition of the Talking Mets podcast, Hall of Fame Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Also want to thank the good folks over at the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Check me out on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. All right. Have a great week. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And get ready for the Hall of Fame vote. What is it, on Tuesday? Till then, take care, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.